Our scripture for this morning is from the Old Testament, from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt just to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take these snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. A couple weeks ago, we took my four-year-old son, Jackson, my youngest, to the new Bonnet Springs Park in Lakelands. I don't know if any of y'all have been over to this new park yet, but it is amazing. It's about 200 acres of nature preserve with five playgrounds, a children's museum, a splash pad, butterfly garden. They've got a little place for canoeing and kayaking. There are restaurants and hiking trails and tree houses. It is truly one of the most amazing natural spaces I have ever seen. And right there in the parking lot, they have this one kind of dinky little play structure shaped like a train. It's like a little toddler climbing jungle gym to maybe keep your kids occupied while you're getting out your sunscreen and your snacks and your strollers for the day. So when we were there, uh, Jackson immediately ran over to that little parking lot train and started playing. Of course, I let him play there for a few minutes, and then I tried to move him on to see, you know, the rest of this amazing facility. And you know what? He didn't want to go. He ran kicking and screaming back to the little parking lot train. I tried to tell him, Jackson, there are five whole playgrounds out there just ahead. Come with me. No, no, no. Parking lot train. Jackson, do you want to go up in a treehouse, or do you want to go see the butterfly garden? No, parking lot train. Do you want to go get a muffin from the snack shop, or do you want to go play in the splash pad? I brought your swimming suit. No, 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 parking lot train. Again and again and again, he had this entire wonderland at his disposal, and he just wanted to play in the parking lot. My four-year-old like the Israelites in our text, would have chosen to go back to the Egypt of the parking lot rather than to head on to the promised lands of the park. He didn't trust me that what was ahead, even though he couldn't see it yet, that what was ahead was far more glorious than what was behind. So back to Egypt, back to the parking lot, he went. And if we're honest, 
you and I, we tend to do the very same thing, right? The dictionary definition of nostalgia is a sentimental longing or a wistful affection for the past. Now, it's not a bad thing. I love nostalgia. I love looking back on the memories, the traditions, the beautiful, wonderful times in the past. Nostalgia is great, but it can also lead us to this false idea that things will never be as good as they once were. Or this false idea that for things to get better, we need to go not forward, but back. Some of us, I think, experience this personally, right? We maybe look back to times in our lives that we feel were better or easier, times when maybe we had more time or more money or less problems, time when maybe we were thinner or younger or better looking or had more hair, whatever it is. We look back and we romanticize the past, but then we forget the pain and the struggles of those times. I think we do this as churches too, right? Especially now as we're kind of coming out of the days of the pandemic and most of our churches are not quite as full as they were in the days BC before COVID. And so we look with nostalgia back to the old days. Or maybe we think even further back in history, back to when many churches had attendance that numbered not in the hundreds, but in the thousands, back when the pews were full and you had to bring out the extra chairs on the holidays. We think back to the 80s or the 70s or the 60s when many churches thrived. Those, we think, were the good old days, right? We forget, though, that in those good old days, uh, church attendance was kind of a cultural expectation. And so people in pews didn't necessarily mean transformed hearts and lives. We experience nostalgia, too, I think, as a society. Sometimes we look back to what we might call simpler times, the good old days when uh, life looked kind of like a Norman Rockwell painting. And we forget that there were troubles in the past, too. They were maybe just better hidden troubles. There was segregation or discrimination. But the golden age was only golden for some and not for all. We're not the first people to experience this, though. I love this scripture because God's people in Numbers 21 were suffering from nostalgia. They were suffering from Nostalgia for Egypt, nostalgia for their own slavery, in a way. They're on their journey to the promised land that God had given to them when the text says that they grew impatient along the way. Right? It was taking longer than they expected to get to this wonderful place that God had promised, and so they got impatient. I wonder if our own back to Egypt nostalgia ever begins when we are impatient to get where we are going next in life. So they're impatient and then they begin to complain. I love this line in the text where it says, we have no food, we have no drink, and we detest this terrible food. Right? We have no food or we don't like the food. Which one is it, right? They're, they're just complaining. They're grumpy. And we get the same way at times. 
And just when we think that this is another back to Egypt story in the Bible, another story about the Israelites complaining, the Old Testament is, is full of those, right? The next part of our story here, something very weird happens. Snakes. Now this is the stuff of my nightmares. I don't know about you all, but I am terrified of snakes. I don't like them. I don't like to see them. I don't like to know that they exist. Sometimes, you know, it is Florida. We get those little black racers sometimes in our yard. I'm guessing you do too. We've got a little one who sometimes comes out of our front bushes and he sometimes finds his way into our garage. He's just a little baby. My older sons don't mind uh, chasing him back out or, you know, getting, getting him back into the bushes for me so I don't have to see him. But I have told my family that if ever this snake makes his way into our house, I'm not coming back. We're not packing anything up. We are moving. We are getting a new place somewhere else with no snakes. I don't like them. They freak me out. Well, the ones in our story here today are even worse. It says that God sent venomous snakes among the people, and they bit many people, and it says many Israelites died. Now, snakes, when we come across them in the Bible, are not just meant to make us scared or freak us out or any of that. They're also meant to remind us of the original snake or serpent in the Bible, right? Back from the Garden of Eden, back from the creation story, snakes or serpents are symbols in our text of deceit or trickery or evil. So I wonder if God sent snakes to show them that this idea of going back to Egypt is a lie. That going back to Egypt is a falsehood. It is deceit. It's, it's not even real. It's trickery. It's snake oil. It's selling you something that's not as good as it seems. Right? The thing you've been nostalgic for is not as perfect as it seems. And your present reality is not as awful as it seems. This is a message for the Israelites and for us. In the scripture, uh, the cure for the snakes, it's very strange, is to build a bigger snake and to make the people look at it. Isn't that kind of funny? Of all the ways God could have solved that problem, uh, God chooses to do it not by wiping out the serpents, not by ridding the land of the snakes. He doesn't do that. But instead, God makes a way, a creative way, to heal the people of the poison. God makes them to look at the thing that is harming them. And through the looking, they can be healed and they can live. Looking up at this bronze serpent, I think, reminds them that they can't move forward if they don't let go of the harmful parts of the past. God seems to want them to let go of Egypt now, or they're just going to keep recreating it and recreating it once they get to the promised land. So God doesn't wipe out the serpents, but God makes a way to heal them of the poison. And the same can happen for us. 
I love John Wesley's covenant prayer, which in many parts of the United Methodist world has come to be seen as the start of a new journey, of a new year, a way to start your year recommitting uh, to your faith. You've probably heard it before. It's a simple prayer. It says, I'm no longer my own, but yours, God. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing or put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full or let me be empty. Let me have all things or let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant now made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. This prayer reminds me that I don't need to go back to Egypt because I am patiently open to what is next. I don't need to cling to the past. I can be thankful for it. I can remember it with joy, but I don't need to cling to it or try to get back to it because I am open to what God will do in the future. Whether for a time I am full or empty, doing or suffering, employed or laid aside, I can trust God in the future because I actually don't belong just to myself, but my life belongs to God. I wonder what it would mean to look at the typical New Year's resolutions that a lot of us make in light of this scripture and this prayer. What if we decided to pursue those things that are good for us, like mental health or physical health or financial well-being or better relationships, whatever your resolution is, what if we did those as a way of looking at the bronze serpent, looking at what maybe is harming us, and choosing instead a different way, not spending this next year of 2023 trying to get back to Egypt, but instead moving on to God's promised land. Our new bishop here in Florida, Tom Berlin, says that he is a bishop because he took this prayer seriously. I saw uh, that Pastor Pam's going to be leading a Bible study on one of his books uh, that kind of touches on this topic, but, but he talks about how he prayed this prayer, I freely and heartily yield all things to God's use. He ended up leaving a church in a city that he loved to make himself available to something new that God was doing. And that's not just for bishops, it's not just for pastors or leaders here at the church. What if that same idea is for all of us? Might this be the year to make ourselves available for God to use for something new? To try to stop getting back to Egypt, but instead to pray, I'm no longer my own, but yours. God, put me to what you will. You've already done a good bit of this as a church, St. Paul. I've followed a bit of your journey over the last couple years as you've sold your sanctuary and moved into this facility for worship. You've been on a journey of how to honor the past while moving into God's future. My hope for you, St. Paul, is that you are fully open to God in 2023. Not looking with pre-pandemic nostalgia to the way things used to be, but to look instead at the opportunity. 
What an opportunity as the world emerges from COVID to try different ministries and different ways of reaching people. What an opportunity when church attendance may be at a low in our society. It just means there's more people to reach with God's love. I also hope this new year will bring us collectively an opportunity to become more just, more aware of the least of these around us, and more like the kingdom of God. The musical Ragtime tells the story of an upper-class white family in 1902 New York. The opening song paints the picture, ladies with parasols, fellows with tennis balls. You can just see the upper-class people at the country club. Until the wife and mother of this family discovers in her garden an abandoned African-American baby. And she comes to find and to know this baby's parents, as well as an immigrant family, and learns of the struggles caused by the injustices of society. And she goes on this journey of wanting to help these people and to help build a more just world. Her husband, though, is always wanting to go back to the way things used to be, always wanting to go back to the good old days. And in her final big solo song, Mother sings to him what I think is her own version of this covenant prayer, of going back to Egypt no longer. She sings again and again the line that is the title of this song that I used for the title of this sermon. We can never go back to before. We can never go back to before. This phrase has been in my mind this week as I think about this scripture, about the new year, and about all of our lives. May we in 2023 take a look at what has been harming us. May we allow God to heal us. May we submit our lives to God and be ready to follow where he leads. May we never go back to before. May we not go back to Egypt, but instead into the bright new year, the promised lands that God has for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.